But it's just airplanes, so it's not, it's it's, not really no this is This is the best seat now. It's, it's got a runway in the front yard. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we ready? Yeah, what is this um, mini drone? This mini awful, drone thing is, awful. this is great. First of all, there are layers. It's like an onion, all right? This is like an onion, all right? We're going to peel. Yeah, it's yeah, it's, yeah, like, yeah, a, it's yeah. like a, not an avocado. What's that other one that has layers? Um, a, uh, it'll come to me later on. Anyways. Something other than an onion that has layers? Yes, yes. No, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's uh, not a, oh, come on. It'll come back to me. You, you steam them and you peel off the leaves. Uh, and oh, artichoke. The, artichoke. It's like an artichoke. That's what it is. It's, it's an artichoke. artichoke. Okay. okay. This story is like an artichoke. Uh, first of all, we have an airplane here that Dave apparently will not fly. This is not an airplane. I uh, see. Now here's where I, this is. The this next is an layer. aircraft. Perhaps. <laughs> this is but the, it's not an airplane. All right. But you right. know, but we've shown Dave rotorcraft in the past and he's said, yeah, I think I'd fly that if somebody else flew it, flew it first. But the next layer, the next artichoke leaf here is that is that I, when Dave put this on the list and then I put it on the list separately, Dave said he referred to this as a real life rolling on the floor laughing copter, a raffle copter, which I think, by the way, we should trademark that name right now. Yeah, a, a raffle copter. For that, yeah. I put it on the list and said, I think this has potential. All right. I kind of like this aircraft. I mean, it's very, very rough. It's just early on here. But this, so you know what I'm talking about. Have you seen the video? I'm, and I've not seen the video. I will click on. You it, watch the video while I talk. I'll never hear from me again. David, what do you think? You what? Did, how? Why you didn't like this airplane aircraft? Uh, you know, not everything holds appeal to me, <laughs> and sometimes too weird is just too weird. But I can't get past the idea that I need more shares of Duracell. <laughs> to be able to afford to fly this. Well, you know, man, batteries is what electric power is all about. You know, them, them, uh, them, uh, God, I mean, this is going to be a bad, this is, this is, this is a really you know, bad analogy. Well, no, no, this is going to be an episode where Jack can't remember the name of anything here. Um, the, uh, the <laughs> have big, another Scott. The big electric car. No, I should have a couple more to Tesla. start. Tesla. The Tesla. Tesla. Um, Tesla. 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 That electric car. New England much? That that electric car has some pretty serious batteries in it too. So I don't think you can criticize this uh, this uh, this multi rotored uh, 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 aircraft on the basis of it having a lot of batteries in it. David, you did so you just didn't trust it. I, I you know, I mean, it's a very early kind of crude example of the uh, of the, the the thing, but. I think it's got a lot of potential. I think it's got a lot of, you know, a lot of redundancy, if you will. Um, the, the biggest problem he had flying it was that there was no built-in stabilization. So he had to kind of keep, he, he had a hard time hovering it. But that's, he would have had the same kind of trouble hovering a conventional helicopter. And, well, I say early flights in something like this, uh, years ago, they would have had tethers on it and only let it rise to the length of the tethers. <laughs> yeah, so right. it couldn't fall far enough yeah. to break itself. So, Jeb, are you uh, looking at the video? I'm looking at the video, and, and you, Dave say years ago they would have had this, they would have had that. This, this, uh, in this era, they have you know an ambulance standing by. Yeah, right. Jeb, describe <laughs> this aircraft for us. All right, describe it. Tell what are you take, seeing? Take take the um, uh, the skids, the landing gear skids off of a Bell 47. Okay. And and bolt them together with some aluminum pipe so that they're freestanding. All right. 
and then bolt a, uh, a chase lounge, a, 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 a lawn a, chair, a lawn chair from Target for fifteen ninety nine. Chase okay. lounge. All right. On on between the um, between the two outriggers on the Bell forty seven. Yeah. Okay. Chair. All right. And then take um, I don't even I don't know. Take some plexiglass and duct tape it together for something that kind of looks like a a roof on top of the. The lawn chair. The roof was a little odd. I the roof is a little odd. Yeah, I don't yeah. know what that's all about. Maybe maybe it's for a future head-up display, of course. But um, and then <laughs> and and then you get. I don't even know how many. There's a lot of them. Yeah. There's a lot. I'd say fifty, maybe. Yeah, something like more that. More than that, you know. Um, in it, uh, but a whole bunch electric, of electric motors with maybe twelve-inch props on them. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Two-blade props. Yeah. And wire all this stuff together. Maybe the maybe the Chase Lounge is there to support the battery box and, and all this kind of thing. Wire all this stuff together and put a switch on it. Yeah, okay, it's much better than that. But uh, and and then throw the switch while you're strapped in. Yeah, and and it's it's almost the guy is. I, I wish we had you know a little bit more close-up of him or something but he's wearing black shoes and black socks and shorts which you guys right are just deter you so you're not wise about this aircraft either right, is right I'm away I'm, I'm i'm a little suspect now having said all of that he clearly has um got something here okay uh, yeah if he, there if we he, go if he could wire in um uh, an ahars some kind of ahars from a cell phone or or something like that, and, and get some stability in this thing, so he could, you know, and, and a chip that would control individual motors and, and therefore individual rotors. Mm-hmm. Um, he might have something. I, that's my point exactly. Yeah. I think. Yeah, that but the whole thing it looks like it, it wants to stay in ground effect. For oh, some. he got pretty high at one point. He was I was going to say he, he there was got one, out of ground effect. Yeah, there was point. there was one moment there where he got a little scary up high because he you know he was having a hard time controlling its descent and we thought he was going to drop out. That's of the sky. what the dome is for. I get it now. That's yeah, that's where you so. that's where you attach the airframe parachute. Yeah, that's right. It, it, yeah, well, it might benefit from such a thing, but uh, you know, it's it's but, this is a crude prototype, all right? But I think it's got a lot of potential as a uh, as so a human too. carrying. Uh, well, a multi-copter there. And, and the good thing about this is, of course, oh, I know what it is. That's a, that's a shield in case one of the, the blades lets go. Well, it's maybe. That's what that is. I don't know. But, but moving right along, um, this is much better because the, the, the blades are above and or, you know, coincident with the, the height of the, the, the elevation of the occupant. We've seen other versions of contraptions like this. Where maybe the pilot was above all the propellers right. or stood above all the propellers, which the only thing that's going to happen there is going to be bad. Yeah, yeah. So, and and by the way, so if you read the comments or read the website, I forget where I learned this, but uh, so the way it works is it, however many propellers there are, forty-eight or fifty or whatever, they're apparently actually divided into zones, four different, four or five different uh-huh. zones. Uh-huh. And so the flight controls that he's using control, they don't control individual blades, they control groups of blades. And so it's, it's sort of the equivalent of having four big virtual okay. blades. Yeah. 54 um, counter-rotating propellers. There you go, 54. Six group control channels. Six, okay, yep. 
And um, with KK 2.15 stabilization. So it has a stabilization system built into it. I, I don't think it does because it would have been more stable. Either. It would not have done it. it. Would no, have that's, been, what, that's what the guy posted. Yeah. Uh, so I think that I think that if, if he improved it, in, however, whatever it's got now, it clearly needs to improve the stabilization. And we've seen that, that there's really simple because for, you know, for like 50 bucks, you can buy a, a quadcopter that's got stabilization built into it. And, and, and uh, so you just add that stuff to this and suddenly it, it's a lot more solid platform. All I got to do is wire an iPhone. I think it's kind of, you guys, I think they, especially the new iPhone, which is like especially good for this. And, uh, and you can even pay more for it. You have, have an iPad Pro. Actually, people want us to talk about the iPad Pro. We have to come back to that later on. Anyways, I think this is an interesting aircraft. And what is it? A pro? I, iPad or iPhone Pro? Don't go there. Well, well maybe we'll come back to this. Pro? Later. Yes. You mean there's a professional telephone now? No, no. It's not, a, it's not an iPhone. Uh, it's an iPad. iPad. There's a professional? Okay, never mind. All right. I, um, I, my head, my I, head has exploded. I don't care. Yeah. So, I got uh, chuckled out of seeing the car stop and back up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, I don't know what this guy is. Let's see if we have, have the guy's name here. But uh, it's, uh, I don't know. There's a lot of information here. But uh, uh, I, yeah, I give kudos to this guy. I think this is an interesting project and I hope he yeah. continues with it. And uh, like I said, he needs to have some better stabilization. And that's definitely doable because you can buy them now. And well, You uh, know, e even in helicopters with stabilization systems, the stabilization system cannot be allowed to overcome pilot input. Yeah. So, anyways, so, you well, know, you're going to go, see a little wobble as this guy learns to hover this thing. You, 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 Imagine what it would be like if it didn't have the stabilization right, in it. Right. Right. Yeah. So, go, I go like the Airbus it. route and, and prevent it from from hurting you or anything. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> so, anyways. so what's the so what's the certification basis for this? This is this is uh, a, a 103 ultralight. Well, I don't think it's in the U.S. for starters. Uh, Actually, if it comes in empty weight, now remember, empty weight of 100, uh, 254 pounds, uh -huh. it would qualify as a uh, legal Part 103 aircraft. Now, yeah. and, uh, and the question becomes is, does empty weight, must empty weight include battery power for an electric aircraft? I think it would have to uh, because the... Uh, well, be, it, maybe it, not. Empty, empty weight for a, for a Part 103 gasoline-powered ultralight would not include fuel. Yeah, that's empty weight and dry. Right, uh, would not include fuel. So right. it would include batteries. It would include batteries, but not electrons. I, I don't. Electrons I don't know. do have atomic weight. Yes, I know. They they, they do weigh something. Yes, yes. they do weigh something. Uh, anyways, uh, so so here we have it. This is an aircraft that I would fly that David would not fly. So okay, this is, dun, this dun, is dun, dun, dun. nine years later. We finally <laughs> found new ground. All right, this is like uh, it's uh, it's this is maybe. And, and I, a UCAP first. Now, maybe Dave would fly it after you flew it, <laughs> if there was anything to fly yeah. after you flew well, it. Well, you know, because, you know, I lead the way when it comes to Dave and air aviation, you know, so. Oh. I don't know what that means. That's exactly. your story and you're sticking that's to it? That's my story and I'm sticking to it. My other story is, welcome, folks, to Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. I'm Jack Hodgson coming to you from high atop Lookout Point in uh, beautiful 
Nottingham, New Hampshire, where it's spring or it's spring, it's spring, it's fall. It's chilly today. It's been hot, but it's chilly today, and uh, it's been raining a little bit, and we need the rain, so that's good. Chilly today and hot tamales. That's how you know you're in a Mexican restaurant. There you go. There you go. I'm here talking to two of my good friends in our virtual hangar. That voice right there is Dave Higdon. How you doing, David, from Wichita, Kansas? Doing lovely. It was. I'm not even sure it hit 80 here today. Uh, it's been downright gorgeous. Uh, got our got our cully uh, washer weather uh, last night. Uh, mm-hmm. The dog was so smart; she insisted on going outside while I was watching the thunder and lightning in the distance. And I thought, "Oh, great!" So we went out. She did her business. We start back in. It starts to sprinkle. And I say, well, Charlotte, you really have good timing. Way to go. We get on the porch coming back in the house. By the time I got back, got something to drink and seated again, you couldn't see to the edge of my yard. Mm-hmm. Wow. Raining hard. She heard it coming. She heard it coming. Yeah. I, said, I, 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 I got to pee, but I don't want to go out and pee in the down, down, <laughs> down for it. It's coming. So let's go now. Okay, I guess. <laughs> more more new ground we've broken here on Uncontrolled Airspace. Uh, yeah, there we go. So, uh, And my other good friend here in our virtual hangar is uh, Jeb Burnside, talking to us from somewhere near Sarasota, Florida. How are you doing, uh, Jeb? Doing fine. Doing it fine. rains it, there all the time. No big deal, right? The weather, the weather here is miserable the last couple of weeks. And it's, it's, define it's miserable. Miserable. Um, it's either raining or it's 95 and no breeze. And 100% humidity, mm-hmm. yeah. and it's there's no end to it, and um, it just it's got a break here in the next few days, next couple of weeks. This time, this time next month, we won't be having this conversation, but right now it's just miserable. Yeah. So there you go. So I don't. I, I, we actually didn't get you on the record here. So you would or would not fly this uh, multi-copter thing? I would. I would do what this guy has done with it, which is basically skip around um, a couple of three feet above ground where. If something does happen and you and you fall out of it or it falls on you or something like that, not much is going to get hurt. Yeah, I would do that. You're actually, I don't know that I'd take it across, you know, the road or anything. Yeah, and you're basically on the record as not being a real <clears throat> helicopter person, anyways. So uh. I, it's not that I'm not a helicopter person. Uh, I the idea intrigues me. Um, and I've done uh, um, uh, Turbo Ed, Turbo Eddie. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, kind of gave me the, the the quick and dirty on a, on a helicopter sim at one of the shows mm-hmm. a year or two ago, and I, I started to get it, you know. So I kind of started to understand it, and the idea, of course, of being able to land or pretty much anywhere you want mm-hmm. is is appealing. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I'm not anti helicopter by any stretch of the imagination. I am very much anti big helicopter parked. Um, within a hundred yards of my hangar. Uh, that's right, of course. Which, which happened at Manassas several years ago. Yeah, yeah. Very, very much anti that, but uh, an- not anti helicopter. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Off field landing of the week here. Um, we've got a, a. I think we've got one, maybe two. Moving right along. Yeah. Right. Is. Uh, now, just just this one. Uh, sp- sadly, it's a Spitfire. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Spitfire force landing in a, a, a Kent field. This is in. Oh, that's uh, a two-holer too. U- UK. This is uh, over. Um, reading from SkyNews.com, or actually News.Sky.com, um, which uh, apparently is a uh, UK uh, news site. 
and it says, A Spitfire plane has made an emergency landing in a field near Ashford in Kent. The pilot had already evacuated the vintage aircraft when emergency services arrived at the crash site at Woodchurch. Um, he was treated by paramedics at the scene, but did not need to be taken to hospital. So, uh, you know, I don't know if it's, there's any more information here, but uh, let's see now. If you look at the picture, that's a two-seat uh, spit. Yeah. It's a training training version of the spit. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't look like it's all that banged up. Yeah, I know. It's uh, it's so it, it's some sort of field with brown, I don't know, gra- tall grass or or some sort of crop, um, but but only eight to twelve inches high, and uh, and the spit is is uh, on the ground. Uh, its gear either never extended or collapsed. Um, and uh, it's slightly nose down, but it's basically upright and, and sitting on the ground, and uh, a couple of uh, first responders standing in front of it doing whatever it is they were doing at that particular moment. Um, and you're right, so it doesn't look all that banged up. Um, <clears throat> the prop, which is to say the engine, probably got pretty dinged up, and, yeah. uh, um, but uh, otherwise, you know, we've seen worse crashes where the airplane made a comeback, so... Uh, Apparently, earlier versions of this story, maybe the current version, um, yeah, earlier version apparently um, called it a jet. And yeah. the comments, if you scroll down, were like, where does you get off calling a Spitfire a jet? <laughs> um, it's like, it's, the mainstream media got a story like this wrong? No. I'm shocked, yeah. shocked. I know, really. So, uh, anyways... We don't know anything more about this. Huh? We don't. We don't have the British version of the U, of the NTSB that we can look up the prelim, do we? Well, there's a. Hang, hang, give me a minute. Okay. All right, David. What do you but, think but about go this? On, go on. What happened? Yeah, David. What do you think about this? I think it's a shame. There's so few of them around, but I've got little doubt that from the shape that it's in, uh, rehabilitation is in its future. Yeah. How hard are those engines to come by though? I would imagine in the, you know, I mean, if the engine got badly hurt, you know, by the sudden stop, can they, you be... can still, you can still get parts to fix them. Yeah. What, what is that engine? I, I'm not familiar. Well, if it's original, it's a Rolls Royce Merlin. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the, uh, uh, United States had a version built by, uh, uh, Allison aircraft engines in Indianapolis. Uh, basically the same. It's a supercharged V12 uh, with uh, a lot of horsepower per cubic inch uh, and a gear reduction drive. One of those airplanes that runs with the engine runs at much higher RPM than a prop. Oh, I didn't. I didn't know that. Are the, you sure about that? The Rolls Royce runs needs a reduction. I didn't know that. I thought they did. I, I don't know. Word for it. I'll take your word for it. I don't know. Yeah. I so, guess. Uh, I guess that's. It's. Yeah. I guess that's true. It's integral to the engine. Yeah. Any luck, Jeb? Uh, I'm still working. You're on still it. looking. Just, 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 David, this this just, both this story and the next one um, sort of um, bring to mind a question that I've had off and on over the years on the whole subject of of it, it, it's the sort of risk versus reward of flying these classic old um, aircraft. Is it is it a good idea to be flying these old aircraft because they are going to get some percentage of them are going to be destroyed? Or should we put them in museums? Well, you know, that's airplanes were meant to be flown. That's one way to look at it. And there are usually uh, more non-airworthy examples that can be dolled up to look airworthy and sit on a museum floor. 
then there are ones that are eligible to be uh, put back into service. Uh, I think if you own the airplane, you want to fly it, you ought to fly the airplane. Uh, and the, the uh, folks in the UK have been particularly active on that front with their museum aircraft for years. Over here, uh, we've got a lot of private collectors and uh, a number of private and public collections that uh, pride themselves on those airplanes flying because taking them around the country, flying them is one of the ways they raise the money to keep them airworthy and to take care of them and to keep them uh, uh, relevant as a piece of history. Uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, yeah, you know, I know the debate. Uh, it's a uh, it, it's one that we're not going to uh, hear an end to because there's no. always going to people no. people who said, "Oh, these are priceless antiques; they should never be flown." And others and, would say, "And where do you draw the line?" Yeah, I know. Well, and, and it's and also, I misspoke. It wasn't it wasn't uh, Allison. It was Packard that built that engine in the U.S. Uh-huh. So this next story is a similar kind of situation, but a, but a different different version of it. This is a uh, one of the Reno Unlimited Racer Warbirds, uh, uh, named Precious Metal, was apparently flying from its home base, apparently in Florida, towards yeah. Nevada for the races. Um, stopped for fuel um, in, uh, I want to say northern Florida, but stopped for fuel along the route. Refueled, was taxiing out to uh, take off when a fire broke out in the in the uh, someplace in the engine air, area of the engine um someone on the ground flagged down the pilot the pilot uh, uh didn't even realize the aircraft was on fire and 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 stopped and then by the time he got the airplane stopped uh, the fire became apparent the pilot ba- lit- i mean he was on the ground but bailed out of the airplane just in time to uh to uh you know not be injured and the uh, at least the engine part of this aircraft was consumed by fire um and uh, the owner pilot has uh, has sent a message to the uh, to the race fans, saying that uh, the airplane is is totaled, is destroyed, um, and I, I'm yeah. sure that just means you know for the foreseeable future. Because, but so here we have another, and these are all these are all former warbirds. I mean, here's an example of of you know people have complained that these warbirds are being being you know turned into racers, and that's bad enough. And now we've got one that's been destroyed in the process. Now, a lot of these airplanes that were turned into racers, um, that process started a long, long time ago with these specific airframes, maybe in the 50s or, or 60s. And in the 50s or 60s, they weren't as rare, as revered, or, or as expensive as they are now. Um, you know, you could pick up post war. You could pick up a P fifty one Mustang for five hundred dollars. Um, and even in the six fifties and sixties, they weren't all that expensive. There were a lot more of them, and and people were were taken to well, you know, let's. I, I kind of like Reno in the fall. Let's see how much faster we can make the old girl go. Mm-hmm. And that you know gave birth to the unlimited class and. And, you know, here we are today. Um, If you had a Cherry P-51 and someone wanted to turn it into a Reno racer uh, and you let them, you should probably have your head examined. Um, But um, the the stuff that's already been turned into an unlimited racer um, is not 
uh, detracting, is not minimizing the universe of, of restorable P51s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, that's I, what, and, and I just close the loop here. I, I looked in that other database, and there's nothing on that Spitfire. Okay. This uh, Reno racer that caught fire um, was a was a originally a P fifty one Mustang. Um, right. It was based in Kissimmee, Florida, um, and uh, um, and apparently uh, Mariana Municipal Airport in Jackson County, Florida, is where the fire. That sounds like, sound like Panhandle. Yeah. So, uh, um. Um, sad situation. Glad to, glad the fire was discovered before this guy was on takeoff roll oh, or, yeah, or, or or on upwind, which would have been you know pretty ugly and. Uh, um, but, uh, but kind of a sad situation here. Yeah. Very sad. Yeah. David, any final thoughts here? I'm just glad I got to see it in practice when I was at Reno a few years ago for yeah. the, uh, for the pylon racing seminar. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you remember really this? Quite pa- an amazing machine. You, do you remember this particular aircraft from the, that, that, uh, visit? Oh yeah. What do you oh, remember? Oh yeah. He was, he was there, he was there flying in practice and yeah. I believe he was one of the instructor pilots. Uh-huh. What, what do you remember about it? Just how much of the time they spent with the cowl open between flights. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's for sure. There's a lot of of, uh, of tweaking that goes on here. I guess it, I, I would imagine NASCAR is kind of the same way, but, uh, um, you know, so. Uh, what's next here? Um, hey, uh, we, I know we don't normally do breaking news on this podcast, but uh, I'm going to make an exception here. All right. Um, this just in. All right. Uh, Malaysian Flight 370 is still missing. <laughs> Mostly. Um, to, still what's most of it, it, still part of it's been accounted for. Yeah. Yeah, right. Jeb, I'm sorry you got stepped on there. Still hanging on in a valiant fight to remain missing. May remain missing. That's right. But uh, but there is some some some. There's a story here, Jeb. Well, what is it? There there is a story here, and I don't mean to make light of, of any of this. And and uh, you know, there's there's still kind of the element of this mystery. This this missing uh, uh, jet is there were a bunch of people aboard, and and we don't know the outcome. We don't know their fate. So it, it's probably inappropriate to be making jokes about it. Um, that having been said, uh, the facts are that about a month ago, a uh, part of um, an airplane washed up on a beach in Reunion Island in the Indian Ocean. And uh, it was determined to be a flapper-on. It was determined to likely be a Boeing 777 flapper-on. And uh, not coincidentally, Malaysia Flight uh, 370 was a Boeing 777. Uh, so there was a bunch of conflicting reports, shall we say, coming out of the news coverage of this. Um, ultimately, um, the part got shipped to France. Now, why might it have gotten shipped to France? Well, the answer to that is Reunion Island is a French possession. Mm-hmm. And um, as a consequence, it falls into French jurisdiction. There's probably some ICAO annex that, that has some bearing on all this. Bottom line is the thing got shipped to France, was thoroughly inspected. Uh, I'm sure Boeing uh, shipped a few people over. I'm sure NTSB shipped a few people over. I'm sure Airbus took a few pictures uh, so they could figure out how to do it right. And um, uh, the punchline in all of this is that it was finally, after some shenanigans uh, and some doubts and some reversals of opinions, finally conclusively confirmed Mm -hmm. that the part was from 
the missing triple seven. Right. Right. So that leaves us pretty much where we were before the part was found, still looking for the damn airplane. Right. And just to give people some context here, Reunion Island is, uh, as you said, in the Indian Ocean. It's actually sort of, uh, well, it's at 25 degrees south latitude, if that means anything. They have Google? Yeah, if that means anything. Um, 25 degrees south latitude, it's sort of off the coast, the west coast of southern Africa. Not to be confused with South Africa. The west coast or the east coast? The correction the east coast the east coast yeah it's way off the west coast yeah. of south america uh, <laughs> it's, it's, so, it's almost so far off the west coast of africa uh, that it's off the east coast it's off the east coast of africa <laughs> it's actually off the coast of madagascar which is off which the east clarifies coast. it for me yeah um so it's it's there sort of sort of to the to the east of southern africa um it's way to the south but just to give you kind of a, an, a, an east west um marker it's sort of east west of of uh, of saudi arabia um, that, that sort of part of the world. Um, and, uh, so it's, it's, you know, I guess my point here is Malaysia is a little bit of a ways away. All right. This is not like, you know, around well, the corner. Malaysia is a little bit of a ways away. Yes. Um, on the other side of the, of the Indian ocean. Flip side of which is the, the area they're searching for the, the major part of the wreckage is even further away yeah. from Malaysia than Reunion Island is. Yeah. So, so, and there's, you know, all kinds of, of uh, you know, if I were um, um, a scientist uh, concerned with um, um, ocean currents and, uh, and whatnot, I would, and I lived in that general area, I would probably be in strong demand by, by Australian authorities or, mm-hmm. or Asians or, or somebody like that who uh, they're, they're, they're trying to, <clears throat> to the extent that they could even come up with the science and the data to to conclusively determine where this part entered the water in on such and such a date. Mm-hmm. Um, if they could do that, maybe they could figure out a little bit and uh, narrow down the search area. But it's it's probably not going to happen like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Reunion Island, by the way, so it played a uh, played a role in one of the Master and Commander novels. See, it's like. Mm-hmm. Hmm. It's uh, you know uh, uh, the uh, the uh, surprise the uh, the the frigate surprise uh, on one of its many missions. Uh, <laughs> he said frigate. <laughs> visited Reunion Island. I believe Reunion Island is where uh, they found the new species of turtle. And uh, so I'll, I'll leave it at that. But uh, you guys can species. you guys can clarify this in the. Forums. This is a full service podcast. It is. A we full talk service. about turtles. We talk about legislation. We talk about aviation. Full service prod- yeah. podcast. And now we'll talk about naked people in the desert. How's that? Well, they, we're always talking about that offline. I know. Yeah. One of the things that happens on Labor Day weekend is the Burning Man Festival in the, the desert of Nevada every year, and or, or every year for some time now. And uh, the reason this is an aviation story is that uh, they, they a lot of people fly into a Burning Man. Um, they actually build an airport uh, out there on the uh, on the. Uh, the, uh, uh, I don't know what to call it exactly. They it's call a dry it dry lake bed, right? Uh, well, it's, yeah, I guess it's a dry lake bed, yeah. And uh, uh, the, but it's the desert. Um, they call it, the the Burning Man people call it the playa, um, but that's just sort of their name for it. Um, and uh, it it's quite a deal. Um, they uh, and it's been going on for about I think ninety eight ish was when they first started making the airport. I think. Um, 
It started out to be just sort of a very casual thing for individuals who wanted to fly in with their personal airplanes, um, and it's grown. It's quite a quite an operation now, um, both for bureaucratic and safety reasons. And uh, um, there's been a couple stories in the news. Jeb, you posted one of these stories. What, what, what was the story that you posted here? Um, it was just a kind of an overview, I guess. Of uh, uh, I think the the uh, writer was as much amazed that there was an airport at Burning Man as he was with the uh, the various different cultures that were represented mm-hmm. at the Burning Man airport, where you've got what is essentially a, a weight shift um, aircraft um, sharing uh, airspace and attention with Gulf Streams. Yep. Yeah. It's uh, it's become a thing over the last well certainly it's been I think it's been in the news a little bit more in the last three or four years about how a lot of uh, deep pockets folks um, are going to Burning Man and they're arriving in chartered jet or trying to chartered occasionally jets but uh, but you know um, generally a King Air or something like yeah, that but, but, yeah but uh, but you know a variety Probably of chartered aircraft and there's a lot of I believe they're what is it 135 operations yeah. that that are, uh, come and go at at this Burning Man airport which by the way I believe it's NV88 it's it's a real chartered airport um it's really in the system it only exists for about 14 days a year um it literally is built from nothing each year and then they restore it back to uh, no sign that it was ever there um, almost like air venture yeah, well, yeah except except that that's there all year round regardless i mean this is called well, the infrastructure is there but the show isn't yeah and uh the the story that you referred to um tried to make a big deal about uh, a, a uh, you, know, you talk about the different cultures between the the personal aviation people and the charter aviation people and right. tried to kind of characterize it as being a, a real a real feud a real rivalry it's interesting because i actually subscribe to a mailing list a discussion list um about the burning man airport um about four five six years ago or so i kind of got it into my head that i wanted to go to burning man one day and maybe i will but that's when i discovered there was this airport that they they build and uh, and i subscribed to this list and Every year, you know, you kind of read the discussion about the run-up to the show and the preparation and whatnot, and it's it's quite a big deal. Interesting thing, this story came out, which I believe was in what uh, it was some sort of mainstream media outlet, I believe, and uh, this is New York Magazine. Yeah, and uh, and it characterized it as being a feud between this this real this real uh, uh, conflict between the yeah. personal aviation people and the charter aviation people on the mailing list. When this story came out, they they referenced the story. They passed it around, and and many many people on the mailing list. Um, and these are typically the people who are the the volunteers who build the airport and maintain the airport and 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 whatnot. Um, they were actually very defensive of the charter people. They say we have a very good relationship with most all of the charter people. They really came to the defense of the charter people on the mailing list, and they said, listen, this this writer really blew this out of proportion. This is not the kind of conflict that, that this person described yeah and uh, and and there were admittedly a few charter operators that they feel like abused the situation but most of them are not only great citizens but they actually financially support the airport they apparently there's charter ops that as well as some deep pockets attendees who who uh, contribute money to make the airport possible and then there's a whole bunch of volunteers that do they, i mean they build this thing on nothing all right they they go out and stake it out you know at some point and they actually 
they actually um, um, groom and, and roll the ground for two, <clears throat> not one, two runways, parallel runways, all right, hmm. um, out there in the desert at the edge of the Burning Man um, um, ground. And, uh, and they mark it off with, with cones and with all kinds of various uh, visuals. They uh, Very, very similar to the, to the Oshkosh and Sun and Fun notams. There's a whole procedure for how you have to arrive. Big difference is that the Burning Man Airport is actually a private field, all right, and you need permission to land. And the permission is only granted after a pilot fulfills quite an elaborate uh, uh, series of, there's a test you have to take, and there's forms you have to fill out, and... and, uh, they're Sounds very, a little bureaucratic. A little me. bit. And, and I think it's gone a little bit too far. But for the most, they, they're very, very serious about two things. Safety, of course. All right. And also they are put under a lot of scrutiny and requirements by both the FAA and the uh, um, Bureau of Land Management, which is the federal body that controls this ground the rest of the year or all year round and, uh, and give them permission to do Burning Man out there. And so they have to like, you know, satisfy these folks too. And so they are, are pretty strong about this it becomes a very very busy airport for certain periods of time a couple of days um especially and uh, it's it's pretty interesting and they've evolved the airport every year they evolve the airport it gets a little bit better the procedure what's the identifier again i believe it's nv88 or 88nv or something like that and uh, um it's pretty interesting they used to have one runway and and that was sort of centered on the ramp area where people would taxi into park and they realized that it made a lot of sense since they had so much ground to work with. They, they not only create parallel runways right now, they create parallel runways that are sort of end-to-end. So that one, depending on the, which way the wind is blowing, one of these runways is for departures and the other is for arrivals. And, you, and, and the ramp is in the middle, all right, so that there's less taxiing to be done is the point, all right? And uh, they, they've done a lot of clever things like that. Um, they... Uh, They've gone way out of their way to make sure that they can still do uh, do uh, sightseeing rides th- throughout the week, um, which is something that we almost completely lose the ability to do at, at AirVenture. Um, and uh, so uh, big kudos to the people who run this Burning yeah, Man Airport, yeah. um, who, who contribute a lot of their time and a lot of their thinking and and, and, and make it what apparently is as, as safe an airport as you're going to find, especially considering the circumstances. Um, there was a really good story. So the the uh, the New Yorker story is controversial. There was a really good story that I just uh, saw reference to today um, that was done by um, um, Hirschman. Hirschman, Dave Hirschman, is that his name? Yeah. Um, is that is he Avweb or flying? He's Avweb, I believe, or Av uh, AOPA maybe. Um, yeah. I think it's AOPA. Anyways, I, I should find it. But Dave Hirschman um, actually went He's out. AOPA. AOPA. Thank you. Um, he went out. He actually attended. He flew in and uh, uh, and camped a couple. Pitched his tent and camped a couple nights. And he reported on the procedures and reported on the airport and uh, reported on the uh, the uh, you know the culture of Burning Man itself. And uh, and it was a really really nice story. I liked it. And uh, and and the uh, the mailing list people also called attention to this story, and and they blessed this story. They liked this story. They thought yeah. this, this was an accurate representation. Well, we should do that one year. I think it would be great. We could do podcasts from. Well, there's no electricity or internet, but we could figure it out. We could oh, take a couple of batteries. solar panel, solar panels. That's solar right. Panel. Jim G's there, got all the gear we need. You should see. Is his there setup. is there like cell service? Yeah, apparently not much. Apparently, it's real slim pickings when it comes to connectivity. Um, so, uh, but uh, it's out in the desert. Yeah, but we got batteries and and portable digital recorders. We can do it. We got everything we need, and uh, you know, we'll go out and 
endurance. They haven't yet grown to the point of putting a temporary cell tower up there. Yeah, I, one, one word for you. What's that? One word. What's that? Duracell. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You were <laughs> bad-mouthing batteries earlier on. Batteries are the future. Jim G told me, told me, but he showed me this. I, I, I'm a believer now. Camp Bacon, batteries are everything. All right? Yes. It's like cigarettes in prison. All right? <laughs> Shout-outs. What do we got here? These are in no particular order here. We got a bunch of them, um, yeah, but but a yeah. bunch of them are pretty interesting. I mean, sometimes shout outs are a little like, okay, we'll throw these in at the last minute, but these are pretty interesting. I, I yeah. like this here. Um, I'll, I'll start. Let me find this guy's name first of yeah, all. Yeah, because if this is the one I think you're going to talk about, I want to hear yeah, this story. This is, um, what the hell is this guy's name? You can cut this out. Um, this is the... Uh, oh, yeah. Chris... Hinky, H-E-N-K-E-Y. Okay. I'm going I'm to call it Hinky. Um, he was, he's a, a probably, as of I, the moment I'm speaking, probably fully retired yes. from British Airways. Yep. Um, he was the left seater on a 777 trying to get out of Las Vegas mm-hmm. earlier this week when the left engine of said 777 decided to soil the bed. Yeah, in a big way. In a big way. Caught, exploded, uncontained engine failure on the takeoff roll. Airplane came to a stop, and it looks as if the nose wheel was pretty much on the center line. Mm-hmm. Came, came to a stop on the runway. Um, fire, uh, all kinds of mayhem. There's a big hole. Um, in the fuselage, there's charring, there's all kinds of nastiness going on here in a picture, uh, all kinds of debris all over the place. Engine just completely let go. hundred and some odd people, passengers, 157 passengers, 10 crew, three pilots. Uh, minor injuries only. I think maybe there are eight minor injuries, bumps and scrapes and things right, like that. These are all that. egress injuries, right? These they were- are all e- egress injuries from evacuating the airplane. Right. Um, some nasty looking fire, uh, uh, taken, uh, uh, nasty looking fire from pictures taken, uh, of the, uh, of the aftermath. Um, so the pilot, Chris Hinky, um, is being hailed as, as, uh, a bloody good job and all of this kind of thing. He's a British Airways pilot. He was getting ready to retire. Yeah. He w- this was he was flying from Las Vegas to, to Gatwick, I think, was the destination for this flight. And then he yeah. had one more flight, and that next flight was going to be his last flight after 40 years of flying a line. Yeah. And he decided, no, I'm going to go out on this one. This is a big finish. <laughs> I, is- I'm, gonna, I'm not going to push this any further. Yeah. I'm going out on this. This is the one to retire on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, See, I don't know, it could go either way, but I, I appreciate his decision here. I, I, I appreciate his decision also. Um, I think it was a very smart thing, uh, a very good thing. He says, he says, quote, it is safe to say I'm finished flying. <laughs> um, but and I don't know. This was written a few days ago and um, ostensibly a few days before that final flight was scheduled. Whether or not he uh, uh, made that final flight, we don't know from this story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, my shout-out is to Chris Hinkey. Uh, good job, sir. Yes. Yeah. Thank Absolutely. you very much. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, good luck on your upcoming nup- nuptials. 
Oh, really? I yeah, didn't catch yeah. that part. Yeah, he's six, 63 years old, and he's engaged to a 40-year-old woman. Oh, yeah. Okay, well, there we go. So it gets better and better. He's yeah. wearing a he's wearing a, a prisoner blazer here. It's like, I don't know. He, he, the, the picture is not at all that flattering. Yeah, well, it's, you know, yeah. but it's, I look at this picture of him. This is, we're looking at a story from express.co.uk, the express home of the Daily and Sunday Express. Um, and uh, there's a picture of, of uh, Captain Hankey, and uh, he's wearing a jacket a multi many many a jacket of many colors a, a multicolored coat yeah and it, and it, it to me it it looks like one of the uh one of the character one of the uh the, the leaders one of the uh, uh keepers at the uh, the the prison that the prisoner the remember the tv show the uh-huh, prisoner? yes yes you yes, know what i'm talking yes, about yes, all right yes. so, oh, yeah. so, so this is oh those, yeah sure this is one of those guys he's got one of those jackets on but uh which you, don't get me wrong i want one of these jackets i think it's yeah, really cool yeah. but I, uh, I am not a number that's um, right. I'm a man. That's I right. Am. Yeah. <laughs> Who is number one? Anyways, that's uh, congratulations to Captain Henke. He's uh, yeah, uh, good, nice good job. job sir. Nice job. Nice, uh, nice work. Sort of an off-field landing, not exactly, but uh, yeah, nice. A um, little bit of uh, of uh, podcast business here. Um, so uh, I'm, this is you know, if people who know me are going to be a little surprised and maybe don't believe it. All right. Um, and time will tell whether or not I follow through on this. But I, the time has come for me to ask for help on uh, creating this podcast. Um, I don't like that um, it, we're so far between episodes these days, and uh, um, maybe the way to solve this problem is to ask for help. So I'm asking for help. Um, UCAP uh, is looking for a volunteer uh, to work with us on the post-production of this podcast. Uh, you would be working with Jack and Jeff Ward to, uh, among other things, edit the recording session, uh, clean up... Uh, weird noises, add themes and disclaimers and bumpers, and, and also generate the final MP3 file for distribution. Um, this task would require some experience with audio editing, um, and uh, we've been using the audio editor Audacity, but uh, another editor pr- a program, if you're familiar with it, could work as well. Um, the task seems to take about two to four hours for each episode. Uh, the scheduling of when it needs to be done is is relatively flexible, although it needs to happen in the few days after we record an episode. Um, there's no pay involved here, so don't get your hopes up. Um, there is the possibility of uh, being part of the UCAP team at various aviation events, including getting uh, uh, media credentials where that's uh, possible and appropriate. Um, and of course, there's the bragging rights of of, of being involved. Just ask Jeff Ward. <laughs> well, no, don't ask. Him. Oh, and we could probably pony up a coffee mug or something. A coffee uh, mug or a shirt yeah, or something like that. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Uh, um, but uh, you know, become part of the team. Um, if you're at all interested in this, um, uh, or even just have some questions, send me an email uh, at uh, uh, podcast at uncontrolledairspace.com. If you think you're the one, or if you just have some questions, um, we're looking to add somebody to the team, and and it could be you, and uh, that would be cool. So uh, yeah. let let us know. David, shout-outs? Yeah. Uh, opened up my uh, Wichita Eagle Monday morning, Labor Day, and was impressed to see a page one story about the Wichita Soaring Association, the Sunflower Glider Port, which is about 20, 20 minutes northwest of town, uh, and uh, quoting an old friend of the podcast, uh, buddy Tony Condon, uh, who we used to see at the CAF uh, coffees on Saturday. But now he's busy teaching soaring and setting records of his own and uh, doing it all. 
the link that will be with this is uh, got video, air-to-air video, in fact, uh, by one of my old colleague friends, uh, Travis Haying. And a uh, nice story. Uh, it had been a long time since anybody here paid any attention to the uh, soaring activity because there's another glider port east of Jabara Airport, uh, same field where B-Light Aircraft uh, uh, is set up. So uh, shout out to the Eagle and to uh, Tony and to the Wichita Soaring Association. Way to go, guys. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. Anything else? Are we done? Is it time? Real quick one. Yeah, what do you got, David? Uh, A little later this month, I was afraid we'd miss it. uh, A uh, very well-known pilot will turn 90 on September 20th. Uh, He's a retired aerobatic pilot. He's the flying farmer who's been putting on his act, who was for years put on his act at the uh, at the Bealton Flying Circus in uh, Northern Virginia. Oh yeah, he's performed at Sun and Fun. He's performed at Oshkosh. Uh, Charlie retired from his act a few years ago, but he didn't retire from life or flying, and he turns ninety on September twenty. And uh, the little link here will take you to uh, the. Uh, Wikipedia site about Charlie and uh, another one will take you to a link uh, from the Flying Circus folks. And that was done many years ago when he had only done about 800 performances at the uh, Bielden Flying Circus. That still continues, by the way, but not like uh, at the level it used to. But definitely a vow to watch this guy do his routine. Mm-hmm. And I met him a couple of times at the uh, uh, the uh, Labor Day fly-in party that some friends of mine had at Warrington Fauquier Airport uh, in years past. And, uh, several of the Bealton Flying Circus folks would come. So, happy birthday, Charlie Culp. Uh, uh, sure did get a lot of laughs out of watching the reaction from the lay people to your uh, flying farmer routine. Yeah. Yep. And that flying farmer routine has been, been ported, shall we say, to other air shows over the years. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's um, yeah, it's too it's, good it's, to it's, it's 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 a fun routine. It's it's too good to not do, and and every now and then you will catch someone who's never seen it before. Yep. <laughs> and that's it for me. Time to stick a fork in this one. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Uh, Dave Higdon is an aviation photographer and aviation journalist and the U.S. editor for London's Ab Buyer magazine. What are you working on, David? Anything fun? Uh, well, we've got a uh, blog post that went up today on avfire.com talking about how uh, <clears throat> some modern safety devices are uh, being worked into the airline industry through ICAO. That would be the child restraint system, the car seat. They're finally getting their act together in the airline business to uh, make it possible for people to bring their car seats for their children on and snap them into a seat, uh, which is going to be safer for the little kitties and the uh, seat belt, and definitely an improvement over mom or dad trying to hold the child on their lap. Yeah, uh, You don't even want to do that in rough air. And yeah. uh, So we talk a little bit about how this should be considered the entry point for moving these into GA airplanes and business aircraft, uh, private okay. aircraft, because yeah, yeah. what works for the kid in the car can work for the kid in the airplane and should yeah very nice very nice that's interesting i want to i want to see that yeah where can people find you on the internet david 
Oh, they can find me at avbuyer.com, aea.net. Uh, I even show up on uncontrolled airspace from time to time. There you go. And on Twitter, you're Real Higdon. Last time I checked. Yep. And Jeb Burnside is a freelance aviation writer and editor, serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. Uh, Jeb, what are you working on? I just earlier this week put the fork in uh, the October issue of mm-hmm. Aviation Safety Magazine. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, got a bunch of really good articles in there this month. Um, public benefit flying, um, night flying, um, what are the top five things you need to get right on your next flight, things like that. Uh, look for it uh, in a mailbox near you in, uh, later this month. Um, and so I'm you know, kind of basking in that glow once again. Um, Got to get a piece to uh, to Ben Sclare at uh, GA News. I'm overdue on that. And Ben, if you're listening, uh, hopefully you'll have it by the time you hear this. Um, um, working on that, trying to get it uh, up to speed. Got a piece coming out in a couple of months in um, uh, uh, Avionics News for the Aircraft Electronics Association. Mm-hmm. Look for that. And... Um, uh, who knows where I'll, uh, I'll uh, yeah, pop, pop up, up next. next. I know. Yeah, yeah. Bad penny kind of thing happening. Yeah. Where can people find you on the internet? Well, you can go to uh, aviationsafetymagazine.com. You can go to aea.net. You can find me on the Twitter machine at uh, Burnside J. Or you can use the Google and just leave off the exclamation point. There you go. Um, did you say Twitter? I'm sorry, I missed it. Uh, yeah, I did say Twitter, did. didn't I? Excellent, then. That's perfect. Yeah. That's perfect. And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. Uh, follow me on Twitter at uh, where I'm Jack Hodgson, uh, or you can learn more about me than you really ever wanted to know at jackhodgson.com and aroundthefield.net. Big thanks to uh, Jeff Ward for all his help with our show notes and in the forums. Thanks to uh, Mike Morgan, to Royce Earl, Jim Golden, and to the many other listeners who have created the UCAP disclaimer clips. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter. Uh, the the uh, podcast itself is uh, twitter.com slash class G airspace, all one word. Uh, you never know what might turn up there. And don't forget, you can check out the rest of the UCAP website. You can chat with us directly and with many of your fellow listeners in the Uncontrolled Airspace forums. All that and much, much more at uncontrolledairspace.com. David, were you going to say something here? Well, we know we can't live forever, but we know we can live longer when we fly because, uh, you know, time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. Bye-bye. And that's enough talking. Let's go flying. Roger copy. I thought leave off the exclamation mark was funny. <laughs> I thought that was good. You know, you, you, you just went right over y'all's heads. I just thought that was good. I, I, I don't know what's wrong it with It did, guys. but I'll get it when I listen later on. That's, I usually get most of the jokes second time through. All right. Ah, <laughs> oh, jeez.